Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We are going to get to the question on most Southern Baptist minds, um, and that is, who to vote for, for the Southern Baptist Convention president next week on Tuesday afternoon. Convention, I believe, starts Monday. There's a lot of activity surrounding it, so I was hoping maybe on your drive there to uh, be able to talk to you about some of the issues that I I perceive and um, give you some context and, and maybe perspective on them. Uh, or maybe you know you're already there and on your morning walk or something. I don't know what all of your circumstances are, but I would really love to have an opportunity to share with you a few thoughts. And I want this to be encouraging too. I think one of the things um, it can be dismal if you study history at all, and if you know the situation the Southern Baptists are in right now, it, it may feel hopeless in some ways. And the the big thing I want to stress is that the Southern Baptist Convention and any parachurch ministry, any denomination, any association, um, any entity, the, these are things that are not technically the church. They're, they exist to further the mission of the church, to help the church, to assist. And, um, and I understand there being a lot of emotional connections to the convention, Christmas offerings and other traditions that people have grown up with, uh, legacies going back generations. Um, I, I think I am the first one in my own family uh, on on my father's side, at least, um, to not have been raised in a Southern Baptist church. It was it was more of a non denominational Bible church. But that's because my dad, during the uh, time before the resurgence, I guess, had kind of broken with the Southern Baptists. He grew up in Southern Baptist churches. My grandfather grew up in Southern Baptists. Uh, great grandfather would have been a Southern Baptist. I'm not even sure how far back. I think great great grandfather. So. Uh, probably back towards the time of the founding of the convention itself uh, in 1845, this my family was was there. Um, so uh, I may not understand as much as some of you about all that since I didn't grow up in it technically. There was actually a time uh, that I, I was a member at one time. I did go to a Southern Baptist school, and even before that, I had done um, NAM uh, missions training. Uh, I had um, also taught a college career group at a Southern Baptist church for I want to say at least probably almost two years, and um, had a lot of uh, a, a good relationship with a pastor who was a Southern Baptist. So I, I did have some interaction, and I and I I get it to some extent. I just wanted to let you know that I I'm not trying to say that if if the convention goes downhill, then you know all is well because it's not the church. I'm not trying to say that, but I am trying to bring about an internal perspective here. We do need to look at this from just like we do with our country. Um, we need to look at it from uh, an eternal perspective also. That doesn't mean we don't mourn. That doesn't mean we, we aren't serious about trying to enact change. It doesn't mean this doesn't affect our kids and our grandkids. Even my children are going to be affected by the Southern Baptist Convention uh, going downhill. Uh, and if it further goes downhill, they're going to be affected by that because it's just kind of a bellwether in evangelicalism. It affects a lot more than just itself. And so... We're, I'm going to play through some scenarios with you. I'm going to give you some information. Mainly, we're going to talk about the candidates that are running for president and kind of what they're running on, uh, that kind of thing. Well, with a, I, I need to be <laughs> uh, very transparent with you from the beginning. There's two candidates, I think, that are unacceptable. And I'm just going to give you basically the reasons I think they're unacceptable. So I'm not really giving you a lot of the positives, which I'm sure there probably are some uh, you could think of. But I'm just going to give you, here's the reasons I, I just don't even put them in the running. Then I'm going to talk to you about the two candidates I think are acceptable and you should at least consider. And so that's what we're going to do. And then we'll we'll circle back to some of that eternal perspective stuff and 
uh, also playing out some of the scenarios that could happen. I'll just uh, talk to you about what are the possibilities and um, and what does it mean for the future, depending on what possibility uh, takes place. So we'll start uh, with um, with this. We're gonna. I, I'm kind kind of trying to start with the the one that I think is the most obviously probably on the more woke side. Um, in other words, more of an advocate of social justice. That's Ed Litton. And um, here's a little montage that I made. Um, you're going to see uh, Ed Litton talking about, uh, it's better if you watch it, because there's a bunch of um, quotes and tweets that I put in this. But I'll, I'll explain it for those listening after I play it. Uh, but we're going to go through the, the issue of uh, women preaching, complementarianism, um, as they call it, at least now in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then we're going to talk about, uh, th then it's going to be Ed Litton talking about uh, social justice issues. This is not exhaustive, but it's enough. <laughs> and I'll put it that way. And since we have limited time, uh, then this is what we're going to have. So I hope this is helpful for you. In this series that we've been doing for five weeks, this is our last sermon. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, so... We've been talking about how to transfer a vibrant faith from your children to your children's children. So this morning, this last message we're doing together is going to be on four qualities of a transferable faith. Our resolutions on race led, led nobody to weep over four girls who were bombed and killed at 16th Avenue Baptist Church blocks away from here. It's led none that I know of that have wept over 3,446 African-Americans lynched since 1886. It's led none of us to really change anything except we resolve to say something. That is not repentance. Thank you, every one of you. I can count all of you, but just listen to me. But you say, preacher, I'm not a racist. Are you indifferent? Because there is a sin worse. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And there is a sin of being indifferent about what our African-American brothers and sisters are experiencing in this country, what they have, and there is an opportunity for us. Vindication. He says how, how they saw themselves. They also saw themselves with indignation. He said not only what vindication, but what indignation. The Greek word here means anger that leads to action. The Corinthians finally dealt with this sinning man in a proper biblical way, but watch this. Their anger wasn't at him, it was at themselves for not taking sin seriously. How can we continue to be passive about sexual abuse in our churches? How can we look the other way, providing more comfort for abusers than for the abused? And, and I need to dive into one other thing, and that is this. Most recent flashpoint are attacks against two people that I frankly love, Beth Moore and David Platt. I know you're free to write whatever you want, but I thought under Christ you may not be free to just say anything. That we are free to love one another, we are free to encourage one another, to help one another. You say, well, I'm here to correct everybody. God help you. We're being played by Satan for the cause of division that will strangle the gospel from taking this world for the glory of God. 
And I warn all of us in Galatians 5.15, it says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you two will be destroyed by each other. We are now reflecting the political culture of our nation more than the culture transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And we need to check ourselves, we need to grieve over this, and we need to mourn over this and repent of this. So without spending too much time, uh, for those who already kind of understand the social justice issue and how it works, Ed Litton is not really an option. Um, not only did he say, yeah, we don't have women preaching at our church, and then, well, there's a clip of his wife preaching. Uh, not only you know, is he defending some of the worst abusers of, of social justice um, teaching, uh, bringing it in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, David Platt and Beth Moore, uh, not only is he um, calling for, you, you know, this is one of the things too, not to go on a huge tangent, but this whole like, we, we need more than resolutions. We need more than, it. That, that's one of the things I pointed out with the social justice movement. It's the hamster wheel. You never, ever get to the point of we've done enough. We've, uh, there's forgiveness that's been uh, dispelled um, and, and given. There, there's never a point where, you, it's all, it's never enough. I mean, he's, you know, we should mourn, he says. We should mourn over, um, you know, church bombing. We should, okay, but when, when people mourn, when they, okay, we're going to have a, a session where everyone visibly cries about something. Then what is he going to say, right? We should do more than mourn. We need to, th that's how it all works. It's never enough. It's, it's solely to put um, certain demographic of people or certain organizations uh, into the position of feeling guilty without really any hope of redemption from that guilt. There's, there's nothing of grace. There's nothing. I mean, this is people who, I'm assuming the people who bombed the church he's talking about aren't even in that room. So th it's, uh, it, it, anyway, I, I've talked about those issues so much. For those who aren't familiar, this is the first video you're watching of mine. That's why I'm not going to go into detail about everything he said, because we've talked about it so many times. Um, but what you're seeing there is um, is that guilt-driven social justice angle coming into it. And there were a number of tweets. For those listening, I'll just read some of them for you that I, I put up on the screen as he was saying it. So my generation of Southern Baptists identified all social justice with liberalism, forgetting or ignoring that God cares about justice. It is not too late to walk in a balance of truth and love. Hmm. That gives you a little insight. That means social justice to Ed Litton is not going and helping with Hurricane Katrina. It's not the charitable um, endeavors the Southern Baptist Convention does because he says, well, his generation uh, thinks that all of that um, is liberalism and they wouldn't engage in liberalism. So, so not charity. It's something different to Ed Litton. It is not charity. Um, and, and of course, social justice really isn't that. But, um, but some of them who try to put a you know, positive spin on social justice will try to recategorize it. Ed Litton uh, knows something about social justice. He knows it's not charity, and he still thinks it's right, and he's shaming those of his generation who, uh, or, or at least opposing those who um, disagree with him on that. Uh, he says, um, pray for Naples. Now, this is an interesting one to me. Pray for Naples. Our polity exposes our hearts. Racism is a sin in this situation, but not the only sin. Please pray for our sister church and her leaders for the sake of the gospel in South Florida. This is kind of disgusting to me. This is the situation that I, I was um, kind of picking up the pieces of in the aftermath. Uh, if you saw the FBC Naples documentary um, online, 
Um, and by the way, I should say that uh, Naples, FBC Naples is now saying that they got everything right. You know, there's been repentance or, you know, reconciliation with ha- with Hayes Wicker, I think it was. Um, okay, their former pastor, they, they've uh, reconciled um, in, at least that's what they're saying. What about the people that were all called racist who weren't racists? Or is it a critical race theory definition of racism? Anyone who poses social justice is racist. And that's what they were operating by. That's what people were, um, well, not to go back into that whole situation, but they were discriminated against very severely for. Ed Litton is taking the side of, I'm sorry, the abusers in this case. And it's a known fact. This is not something that's up for debate. Uh, The people who made the accusation smeared the character of a number of people at that church FBC Naples, um, they are the ones that are controlling the narrative, and Ed Litton is helping them. And he says racism is a sin, and in this situation, in this situation, but not the only sin. So racism is a sin. Really, where is it? Where's the sin? Where's the racist sin? Is it, The only thing you can point to is you had some members who opposed the social justice teachings of a uh, pastor who, or a a uh, pastor they wanted to hire, they didn't because of the courageous people who stood up, named Marcus Hayes, uh, who was retweeting Kamala Harris and um, wanted to bring in the principles of woke church. That that guy who who thought that um, having you know homosexual orientation, having those desires, uh, was not a sin. Uh, th- that's why they opposed him, and for a number of other reasons. But um, so Ed Litton is totally wrong on this. Uh, he also says, those who suggest that biblical reconciliation among races is linked to critical race theory may have never seen or attempted to be reconciled with another for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. You got you to gotta listen to the harshness of this. He's accusing those who suggest that biblical reconciliation among the races is linked to CRT, which Jarvis Williams and, and even to some extent other... Jarvis Williams is just the most obvious example, but it's pretty much in the water. But literally uses every principle of critical race theory. I've demonstrated it. Go watch my video, Jarvis Williams' Gospel. Every principle of critical race theory is employed into and infused into what he calls biblical reconciliation. Every ethical and metaphysical assumption, pretty much, of critical race theory is at least part, at least significant aspects of those principles are in what he calls uh, racial reconciliation. So th- this is, what is Ed Litton not aware of that? It doesn't sound like it. Or he just buys the Kool-Aid like Jarvis Williams does and says, well, this is reconciliation. But then the accusation is anyone who doesn't think that, that uh, who, who thinks that biblical reconciliation, uh, like Jarvis Williams' version, I guess, would be linked to critical race theory. Well, they've just never been attempted to be reconciled. <laughs> this, is, this is arrogant. This is just, it's an arrogant thing to say. Um, Ed Litton, again, it looks to me like the IMB and Dr. Paul Chitwood are pursuing biblical reconciliation, not critical race theory. And this is in the context of the whole uh, implicit bias training that the IMB uh, wanted to do. Yeah, that's biblical reconciliation right there, that implicit bias uh, training. Because you find that all over the Bible, right? Um, This is is the man who's running, guys, uh, on the left. And he's pretty much, I think, he's the Nam guy. Uh, probably the Southeastern guy too. I, I know someone was sending me some stuff. Uh, at least one of the, the provost uh, pretty much has endorsed him. Um, here's some other tweets. Here's a tweet he liked from Dwight McKissick. The people of the SBC who reject critical race theory, 
including the presidents, have never ever experienced systemic and economic racism. Really, this discussion is mere, merely academic, theoretical to them. Those of us who oppose uh, the CSP uh, position have experienced it and watched parents. I think it means yeah, CSP. Hmm. Okay, have experienced it and watched parents congregates victimized. Ed didn't likes this. Total smear. Um, Southern Baptist, he says, and the scandal of the sexual abuse. Uh, it's just a retweet of a Russell Moore article on the Caringwell stuff. He takes the Russell Moore position on this. Again, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor says, um, I read Jesus and John Wayne, but haven't read many. Okay, so she's saying, I read this book. Um, th this really, I, I okay, so I, I'm going to tell you, I tried to start to read this. I poked around it. I read like two pages, and I was pretty shocked at, Number one, this is passing for scholarship is is, is kind of shocking. It's just it's it's smearing. It's 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 just not well done. Um, but it's being praised all over the place. I probably should read it and do a review at some point. But uh, it, it, it's so it's so twisted towards the left. The assumptions are so biased. It just it doesn't quite even qualify to me as scholarship anymore. But that's. That's what's going out there. And Ed Litton says, I am reading it now. Let me say, it is not pleasant when someone tells you to sober up, especially when you do not think you were drunk. That's what that book's doing. Okay. Ed Litton is woke, guys. Ed Litton is progressive. Ed Litton is going to turn the volume up on all the social justice stuff in the SBC. So if you want that, if you want more of it, if J.D. Greer was too tame for you, vote for Ed Litton. But if you'd like the Southern Baptist Convention to remain biblically orthodox, uh, then I would say you're going to have to steer clear of Ed Litton. Because uh, if you want more standpoint theory, if you want more um, conflict along social lines, then that's what Ed Litton brings to the table. Now, Al Mohler, right? Some think that's this is the alternative, is Al Mohler. Now, I'm going to play for you. Uh, here's a very short montage. Uh, again, all things Al Mohler said. Al Mohler, in his own words, and I'll make a few comments. Uh, so here we go. I felt it quite necessary in order to, to make clear the gospel to deny anything like a sexual orientation. And uh, speaking at an event for the National Association of Evangelicals 20-something years ago, I, I made that point. I repent of that. I, I believe that a, a biblical theological understanding, a robust biblical theology would point to us that, that human sexual affective uh, profiles and who we are sexually is far more deeply rooted than just the will, if, if that were so easy. But Genesis 3 explains that, helps us to understand that this complex of same-sex challenges coming to us is something that is deeply rooted in the biblical story itself and, and something that we need to take with far greater seriousness than we've taken in the past, understanding that that requires a far more robust gospel response than anything the church has come up with. It's going to take everything we've got in the gospel and in the scriptures uh, to escape uh, the, the trap of history. But we're not, we can't just draw a line. We're going to have to deal it. We're going to have to confront it. We're going to have to recognize the word stain is exactly the right word. It's a stain that we're going to carry as a denomination forever till Jesus comes. I can't associate with any assertion that we do not have a massive problem in the society and in the church with claims of racial superiority and with historic patterns of claims of white racial superiority. There are ongoing manifestations 
uh, of this same uh, racism, which is the great stain uh, against uh, the American nation and the great stain against much of American Christianity. I, I love the people, respect the people who brought the resolution. I, uh, I would not have brought the resolution if it were, uh, if it were me. And, and, uh, and there's just some language in it that some of it's so good, but some of it is, is, is so easily uh, taken, um, well, it's, it's just confusing. Uh, so uh, I just, I'll, I'll try to say that. I, but behind it, behind the resolution, I'm convinced was an effort to try to speak to the real problem of the sin of racism uh, in the United States and in every structure in the United States. Now, I know for some people, this is a hard pill to swallow, especially if you've thought about Mueller as Mr. Conservative for so many years, um, or if you're reformed, he's been Mr. Calvinist and you've really wanted him to uh, forward his soteriology in the convention. And that's been very important to you. 10 years ago, the fight was over Calvinism, Arminianism more. And Al Mohler, as far as I can tell, is probably the most overtly Calvinist of the, the group. Um, I've looked into Mike Stone a little bit. I've tried to, to find sermons and stuff. I can't really find um, much that's explicit about it. Um, it seems to me he probably leans a little more Arminian. I could be wrong about that. That's what it seems like from what I did find. Randy Adams, from my conversations with him, I think he seems to lean a little more Arminian. Al Mohler seems like he's unapologetically Calvinist in these respects. My um, take on that, though, is that this is such a backseat issue at this point. Not that it's not important. It's just that there's a basic battle for biblical orthodoxy and the survival of the denomination that has stage four cancer uh, with a pagan religion from the world, political religion, coming in. That is a way bigger issue. And someone who can deal with those issues of corruption and uh, social justice are gonna be much better equipped than someone who has maybe the right soteriology in some of your minds, but uh, is, has caved on some of these issues. And so um, I wanna show you um, some of the things that lead me to believe that Al Mohler has caved and will continue to. Uh, he had he's defended the 2019 resolutions committee that gave us resolution nine by basically accepting their non-retraction. They issued a statement uh, that was basically a replay of resolution nine. It did not retract anything. And Al Mohler accepted it, uh, basically. And, you know, I understand he didn't oppose resolution nine when it was coming up two days afterward or something. He got on his program and said he disagreed with it. But then if you're in the presidency, there, there's got to be some kind of, uh, there, there has to be accountability. You have to be able to tell people they need to retract and not accept it if they don't. Um, I mean, it, it's it parents, you know, to take a very small example of this, if you're a parent and you have a kid who, you know, you're supposed to clean his room and doesn't do it, and then comes back and gives you, you know, all the reasons that they didn't do the right thing, and you just kind of accept it as these are, you know, pure motives or something. That would be, that wouldn't be good for your kid. It wouldn't be good for your household, and it's not good for the Southern Baptist Convention when you just accept uh, non-retractions and try to get along and have unity with people that aren't admitting the damage or the wrong that they've uh, created in the convention. 
that's just, it's not going to work. You have to be able to have actual apologies. You have to be able to bring things to the light of day and to have really honest conversations. Al Mohler constantly talks about how he wants to have an honest conversation. It really doesn't ever happen though. And that's, that's a big issue. Um, he hired Curtis Woods after he submitted a dissertation at SBTS specifically using CRT as an analytical tool. This is true. Go look up Curtis Woods dissertation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He specifically says in the abstract, he used critical race theory as an analytical tool in the dissertation. And yet he's hired as a professor by Al Mohler. Uh, he defended uh, Curtis Woods, Jarvis Williams, Matthew Hall, Danny Aiken, Adam Greenway, while attacking Tom Askell, Conservative Baptist Network, and staying silent on the controversy involving John MacArthur with the go home thing. Uh, that, to me, is the biggest sign. If you really want to know, okay, where are Al Mohler's alliances and allegiances, it's with the woke people. It's not with those who are more leaning conservative. Um, he publicly approves of Russell Moore. And I know some people ha have tried to downplay this. But the reality is that Al Mohler, for the full time Russell Moore was doing his damage, destroying the denomination and its reputation, Al Mohler not once publicly lifted a finger to oppose Russell Moore. Now, I have heard that in private, sometimes he has said things. He has never done it publicly. Uh, in fact, whatever he has said publicly has always been approval. And that is a problem. Uh, his character is challenged by Tom Rush and Russell Fuller, a trustee and a seminary pre um, uh, professor. Pretty serious stuff. Go watch those videos. Uh, he interprets police shootings often, historical symbols, and institutions in a way consistent with critical race theory. And uh, there are many examples of that. Um, and I would say, and this is a strong charge, I realize, if you... Uh, have quibbles with any of this, including this one, I would say, go watch the video I did, What Happened to Al Mohler? And I explain why I say this. He is unclear about the gospel. And this is the charge. It's the most generous charge I can give. This is what Paul said to Peter. Uh, I, I have quotes from him where he talks about you know people who uh, harbored some kind of racism um, basically, not really, they didn't have a full gospel, they didn't understand it, that kind of thing, and then um, turning around and saying, well, you know, those who uh, were racist in Southern Baptist history, who helped form the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, you know, they actually, they did have the same gospel we have. Which is it? And you can go and see the chapter and verse, go watch uh, the video I did, what happened to Al Mohler, and I provide all the documentation and everything you need for that. These are the reasons, though, I say y y this is not the guy to run the Southern Baptist Convention. Far from it. Uh, there's a principle in Scripture, right? Being faithful in little things so that you can be faithful in much. Al has Al Mohler been faithful in the little things, in, in his uh, piece of the pie there in Louisville? And if not, then why would you want him running the entire ship? So... That is my thought on Al Mohler. Um, let's talk about the issues facing the SBC before I get to the two candidates that I think are more acceptable. Decline in baptisms, unaccounted for funds, social justice subverting most, if not all, entities. Uh, this is a big one that I probably should have focused on more, but local versus centralized control. Big issue in our government, big issue in the Southern Baptist Convention. 
more centralization happening and less localism. A true conservative wants to return to the local. Um, intimidation, fear, and the 11th commandment. That's a big problem. Uh, increasing egalitarianism, so women preaching, etc. This is uh, just starting, but it is it is starting. The beginnings of homosexual normalization in some entities, uh, the ERLC being one, The um, some of the schools, like even Southeastern, uh, there are some things I can point to in talks that have been given that uh, seem to indicate this. And religious persecution uh, from the government. That's going to be an issue over the next few years. Uh, what kind of standards is the government going to try to make schools meet? Here are the two candidates that I would say you could vote for and have somewhat, hopefully, of a clear conscience. Maybe not all of you can say that, but uh, in, in my mind, these are the only two options you have. And so I will do some comparison, uh, but ultimately, you are going to have to make the decision which one you want to vote for. I think, here, here are the standards that I think you should be looking for, okay? You need someone who's very brave. They're going to have to stand down. They're, they're going to have to face the federal government. They're going to have to uh, face their own convention and pretty much all the entities, the swamp, and it is a swamp in the convention, is going to be opposed to them. Who can be brave in the midst of that? Number two, someone who's principled, someone who is not going to bend on certain core issues. They're not going to negotiate on them. They're going to uh, use their bully pulpit like Ronald Reagan did, or even Donald Trump to some extent. They're going to take the issue to the people when uh, shady stuff is happening. You need someone who's wise, someone who um, isn't naive or foolish. Uh, and by that especially, I mean you don't want someone who is going to, like Al Mohler, just believe the good intentions of uh, the resolutions committee when they don't apologize and they don't retract. You need someone who understands human nature uh, enough, who, is, who has worked um, in an area where they've had to be uh, in management of some kind, who, who is wise towards people, who is shrewd. Uh, who understands uh, that w people can say one thing and do another. Um, this whole, you know, 11th commandment, never assume the, you know, anything bad, never say anything bad about a Southern Baptist. That's, you can't have someone with that. No one from the good old boys network should be elected. They have to be uh, probably willing to be more of an outsider. At least if they're not now, they have to be an outsider once they get there. Um, communicative. They have to be able, when they need to use that bully pulpit, to take it to the the, the people of the convention to say even things as drastic as withhold your cooperative program giving. And I'm serious about that. If you really think the SBC has got stage four cancer, that's got to be on the table. Withhold your cooperative program giving until we audit uh, NAM or until we drive out social justice teaching from SEBTS. That's got to be the attitude. And in order to do that, you got to be articulate, communicative. You need to be able to uh, talk to people in a way that they understand exactly what you mean. You got to also be diplomatic. So this is so being wise towards people, right, and principled, but also diplomatic. Uh, where you can praise something, where you can uh, give credit, where you can get people who don't always agree with you to work with you, you got to be able to do it. Uh, and then also uh, to be humble. I would say diplomatic's actually probably <laughs> towards the bottom of the list. I think I probably subconsciously uh, made this list in order, <laughs> principled, wise, communicative, diplomatic, and humble. Um, humble is also very, it's very important. Um, 
Definitely. You need someone. And, and the reason I say that though, is you need someone who's going to listen to others, not someone who monologues and think that thinks that they, um, they have all the answers or their group has all the answers or their friends have all the answers, but someone who is willing to listen to outside voices, who's whistleblowers are going to be a big part of this. Someone's got to be humble enough to listen to them. All right. So that's, those are character qualities. Um, and, uh, I didn't just pull these out of a hat. I did spend some time looking at this. This is the elder qualifications in first Timothy three, Titus one. I don't know that. I mean, this is for the office of an elder. This the president of the SBC is, is different than that. Although I think a pastor would be good and both Randy Adams and Mike Stone are elders, which is the office of a pastor. So, so I, I think they match up. Um, I mean, Ed Litton's also a pastor. So, I mean, JD Greer was a pastor, so it's not like you get a pastor, you get, uh, something good, but, um, I, I did at least look at these and that's where I kind of distilled uh, these qualities uh, and applied them to the situation. Brave, principled, wise, communicative, diplomatic, humble. Understands social justice, government overreach, and corruption. If they don't have an understanding of those issues, they're disqualified in my mind. They got to understand those issues. First uh, Chronicles 12.32 talks about um, the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. That's what you need. They understand the times with knowledge of what the Southern Baptist Convention should do. And my last thought on this for qualifications, uh, what to look for in an SBC president, they need to be a wartime leader. There's a difference between a wartime leader and a peacetime leader. We don't need a Neville Chamberlain. We need, you know, who just calls for peace. If you're just calling for unity and peace and you don't have a plan for what if uh, it doesn't happen and there's an invasion in the entity, there's a blitzkrieg and it's already happened, uh, then you're going to be taken for a ride. No Chamberlains. We need a Churchill, okay? Wartime leader, willing to take unpopular action and often drastic action, but necessary action. So I'm going to repeat this for you all. Brave, principled, wise, communicative, diplomatic, and humble. Understand social justice, government overreach, and corruption. And a wartime leader, willing to take unpopular and often drastic, but necessary action. That's what you need, I think. From my perspective, those who care about my opinion. So we have um, Randy Adams, we have Mike Stone, and here's my impression for you, okay? Um, I'm gonna give you what I think are strengths in both of these candidates uh, and what I perceive to be their basic, um, if you wanna call them platforms, you know, the emphases that they have. On social justice, which I know this audience cares about, Adams is the only candidate to sign the Dallas Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel of the four candidates running. Now, I'm going to say this about Adams. Adams also signed, um, back during the George Floyd thing, a statement that was put out by uh, the Southwestern Baptist, or no, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, which seemed to tie what happened to racism. Adams has been very explicitly clear since then that he does not believe that that was tied to racism. Um, Stone... Uh, jointly is jointly submitting a resolution against social justice. Now I have read the resolution. Uh, it's, it, it's okay. I think it's good in many ways, but it has a weakness in that it uses the statement the seminary presidents made last year as uh, sort of authorization uh, for, you know, being, it, it sort of interprets that as this was against critical race theory. And um, that seems to be naive in my mind. I know Stone probably is not the one that crafted this. Um, overall, though, it's a good resolution. 
So this is what I'm going to say about both these candidates, Adams and Stone. Adams being the only one to sign the Dallas statement, Stone being the one to submit this resolution against social justice uh, or critical race theory, really. Um, both of them are taking a stand against this. All right. Uh, the other two are not. Um, of course, yeah, <laughs> they're not. Uh, I think if you read this this submission uh, that's being made, though, it, it gives the impression Al Mulder is, and, and I, I don't buy that. So you have Adams, you have Stone, um, both taking shots against that. That's a very good thing. Emphasis. Here's a difference for you, a big one, I think. Adams stresses accountability and transparency. That's pretty much been his, the drum he's been beating for I don't even know how many years. Since I've even been involved in this, Adams, Randy Adams has always been there talking about accountability and transparency. So no surprises with Randy. Always been something he's tracking. Always been something he cares about. Um, I think that's a huge problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's one that has really only recently been on my radar. It may be, it's probably bigger than the social justice stuff in a way, because it's what, what has allowed for the social justice stuff to creep in. And um, it's, it's also, here's a thought for you as well. This is the way I think the Southern Baptist Convention and the bad actors, right? Everyone wants the bad actors taken care of. This is the way it's going to happen, more, uh, more likely. It's going to be scandal financial scandal, uh, sexual indiscretion. These are the things that take people out more than, oh, look, they're preaching a false gospel. I hate to say it that way. I, I do. I, if you remember uh, not too long ago, the governor of New York um, basically enacting a policy that was killing people in nursing homes. But what really took the wind out of his sails? It was a sexual scandal. For whatever reason in our culture today, and the Southern Baptist Convention, I don't think is an exception to this. Those are the kind of things that take people out. It should be that, you know, forwarding a false gospel takes you out. Even the, the, the slightest infraction could, you know, the, the eternal consequences that has, that should take you out. It doesn't in this environment. There's so much charity put on that, but there's hardly any charity given to someone who is uh, engaged in financial indiscretion, scandal, or sexual scandal. So um, I, I think there's a pragmatic thing here as well. Adams did, hasn't said this, I'm saying it, but the, if you focus on accountability and transparency, you're going to find out some of the worst social justice abusers, those enabling it, are also uh, at the very least involved in financial um, issues. Stone is focused more on wave revivals and stressing points of unity. That's the best I can figure out from what I've read and listened to from Mike Stone. Um, he wants to do these kind of uh, old style revivals uh, that Southern Baptists could all kind of focus on. And then um, Southern Baptist Convention can stress, they, they can kind of come together. They're going to have unity because kind of like, look, we all have the gospel. We have these core things we believe in. Now, um, that sounds like a good thing, I think. And I, and I would support that, that they, there needs to be an emphasis more on evangelism in, in coming back to the core message of the gospel, I think the issue over the last few years is that you have people that are confusing social justice with the gospel. And if you have a church, let's say, that is, or an entity, which it's plaguing most of them now, that thinks social justice is part of the gospel, right? Send Network is going to be part of this, and the church is affiliated with it, SEBTS, etc. If you have those guys coming together to do revivals, what's that revival going to look like? Um, and even if you put parameters on it and you say, well, you need to stress just the, the, the gospel, 
itself and you put language in it a re, you know resolution that whatever some kind of directive that has language that says no social justice talk do you really want people that have a false gospel do you really want to be you know ha making them go in um or or pr promoting them to inspiring them to uh give the true version of the gospel as a representative of the southern baptist convention um I, I see yes and no <laughs> in that answer. Um, I kind of would rather just expose the false gospel and cu cut the cancer out, right? That that's kind of my take on that. So I, I um, and I, I'm not saying Mike Stone is saying that uh, woke churches should all do this, but I'm I'm not sure what would keep them from being part of these wave revivals, and I, I don't know how that would get them back on track when it comes to the mission. I think there's, there might, there could be, I don't know, there could be an assumption behind this that um, a lot of these people are just very well-meaning and they're not actually promoting a false gospel or false teaching. And that's true for some, that some have been caught up in confusion like Peter was. There's a bunch though, and I'm convinced of this beyond a shadow of the doubt, there's a whole bunch, especially at the seminaries. They're not Peter. They're the false brethren who have crept in unaware and they are enemies of the church uh paul's words not mine and so those are the kind of people i just wouldn't want to give them cover i wouldn't want them i wouldn't want to be associated with them in any kind of revival but the idea that stone has here of getting back to revivals getting back to uh core evangelism is a good one and we need that i just don't know quite how you get there without doing stage four chemo something drastic would need to happen i would think uh adams his diagnosis corruption that's the problem with the sbc it's corruption it's character flaw it's it's money uh it's um motivating a lot of this centralization big part of that corruption he's a localist which i think is a core conservative tenant um, he wants more accountability more of the power put back into local associations local churches not the uh central authority itself in the convention so that's his diagnosis. Stone, I think, from what I, my impression is, his diagnosis is more mission drift. And again, I've only talked on the phone with Stone twice, uh, and then I, I have articles and stuff that I, I've read of his, um, interviews, etc. That's the impression I get, though. It's a mission drift kind of thing. That because they've gotten off track, which is true, uh, they, that the Southern Baptist Convention needs to come back to just the core elements of the gospel and stop, you know, swimming around waters that they don't belong in the social justice world, etc. Um, Randy's position uh, seems to be more of an outsider. He's the Northwest Baptist Association president. So um, he, he would not be someone who's coming from within the Southern Baptist Convention itself as, you know, high up in one of the entities or um, on... Uh, he, he's certainly also geographically in the Northwest, so he's not hanging out with people in the South where the core of the Southern Baptist power seems to be. Mike Stone seems to be more of an insider. Um, he's the executive committee head. He's endorsed by the Conservative Baptist Network as well. Uh, I know he was, I think he was the head, if I'm not, or the chairman, if I'm not mistaken, or he, he was at least involved quite significantly in the Georgia uh, convention there. But, but being the executive committee head, um, very high up position that may be honestly you know that's probably the 
second highest position, I would say. You got the president and you got the executive committee um, chairman might be the second uh, highest position there. But um, there's strengths and weaknesses that come with both of these things. If you're an insider, you know kind of the corruption of how the sausage is made. <laughs> you see it. You see all the terrible things. And so you kind of, you know, you've been in those backdoor meetings that no one knows about. So you kind of know who, who the, the bad guys are in a way. Um, if you're coming from the outside, you haven't been in those backdoor meetings. Uh, so there's, there's a strength to that in a sense. Um, there's also a strength though to coming from the outside in that you don't have any personal allegiances. Uh, you don't owe anyone any favors or that impression isn't there at all. Uh, you are totally a new face and it, you, you can kind of, without emotionally attaching yourself, uh, take the scalpel to the corruption. So strengths and weaknesses to both. Um, as far as personality, Adam strikes me as attentive. He's a good listener. He's uh, direct when he speaks and he's very decisive. Uh, he's, um, in fact, the way he rattles off facts is extremely impressive to me. Um, he's got like a plan, very clear plan. No one really has to ask what his plan is. So very direct with what he wants to do, um, good at communicating it, but it, it is direct. But he also listens. So I, I say the awesome stuff there. Stone, very eloquent uh, in his delivery, uh, very careful and strategic. He seems like the guy that is thinking three, four steps ahead. Um, you know, he's looking at all the, what's this going to do here and how will that affect, you know, this. Uh, very careful with what he says bear it with um how he presents himself publicly he's uh i mean these are really good strengths for someone in a political position so you have some some good things here the, these are just my impressions uh again there's probably a lot more that can be said here but this is this is what i think as i compare mike stone and randy adams you got a lot of good strengths um on with both of them they're just different and depending on, I think if you lean more towards the accountability and transparency and stage four chemo stuff, you're probably going to go with Adams. Um, if, if you're the kind of person that's kind of like burn it all down, if, you know, if they're, if they're going to keep going down this track, it's probably more of an Adams thing. Uh, if you are someone who probably is more, um, we can salvage this ship by bringing, bringing it back is, you know, it's off course. We're going to, so if you don't want to burn the ship right, and get the lifeboats out and start building another ship, if you want to just change the direction of the ship because it's going in the wrong direction and get back to evangelism and revivals and that kind of thing, Stone's probably going to be more your guy. That's the best I can come up with with trying to kind of compare the two. And again, there's things to be said uh, for both of those um, strategies and outlooks. I hope that's helpful for you. Um, let's see here. Big picture. Big picture. This is where I want to maybe bring some encouragement. Dangers. Let me give you the dangers that I perceive. This is the, and I told someone the other day, this is the biggest one I have. A false hope given to conservatives who keep giving money thinking they won. That is my biggest fear for the Southern Baptist Convention. If a conservative wins, supposedly, and they do not stop the, the direction, the, or they just slow it down, it keeps going in the same direction. And conservatives stay in. They keep giving money to this this huge beast, thinking they won, when in reality their goals are never realized and they fund the destruction of what they believe. That is my biggest fear. Uh, 
And and I and I can't. I mean, all I can say is that is a fear. I can't tell you, um, <laughs> like, I, I, there's no solution that I know of. We you have to trust that one of these two candidates is going to help bring about a diff, make a huge difference, make a dent. But my fear is that is it even possible at this point? Is that something they can do, or and is that something they're really willing to do? Are they willing to apply the stage four chemo that's uh, maybe necessary? Um, are they are they able to steer the ship in a new direction and take the steering wheel back from those who there's a you know a hundred people trying to secure that steering wheel so you can't get to it? That's the, so you're going to need someone with a lot of guts who's willing to burn some relationships, I think, in order to uh, actually bring about change. That is my impression. Um, number two danger, conservative, a conservative split would be, um, could, could be bad. So if the conservative split between Randy Adams and Mike Stone and the corruption and the social justice compromise will just continue. Now, I want to say something else, a silver lining in all this. If a conservative does not make it, if it's Ed Litton versus Al Mohler, a conservative doesn't make it to that second round, which I don't think will happen. I think a conservative will. There's so many people showing up, and I think they're angry conservatives primarily. But if a conservative doesn't make it, uh, doesn't win, that could also there's a silver lining in that, in that conservatives will probably lose hope and leave the convention and stop funding their own destruction. That's not a solution we want necessarily we'd rather have the convention go you'd rather have all the, the leftists leave but i'm going to say this one side will leave there it, the split is inevitable no matter what happens one side will leave but the swamp will remain that's always how that's how it is in the federal government right trump wins the swamp's still there um it will it, it's there because the money's there and it'll keep funding there's people that are uh pulling strings on the social justice stuff and um, a lot of corruption's happening and they're not going to leave just because a conservative president gets elected. You may have the Beth Moores of the convention leaving. She's already left, making very public stinks about it. Um, they, they're, they're the ones that change, not the convention. But the swamp will always be there um, unless someone takes a scalpel to it uh, and drains it. So um, I think the split is inevitable either way. But the question is, are conservatives going to be, are, are they going to be able to take back this convention? Are they going to fund their own destruction if they are not able to take it back, but they're giving them impression that they've, they've taken it back? Um, and then if they split the vote, is it just going to be, are they going to have to leave anyway? Here's, here's a big picture thing, though. We live in a post-institutional world, I think, more and more and more. What do I mean by that? I mean that the voluntary associations, uh, bowling clubs, <laughs> Boy Scouts, um, all the civic clubs that used to exist that people would be part of. If you've noticed, those have been going the way of the dodo bird for some time. And I think the Southern Baptist Convention is not going to be an exception to that in every way. The people that are my age and younger, they... Um, they're more they're more individualistic as far as where they put their time, what they do with their time. I think um, I don't know where I put my phone. I was going to hold it up. <laughs> I think the phone uh, has and technology has caused a lot of this. I I think 
it's inevitable that we're we're moving in a direction though where there's going to be less and less cooperation and more and more independent gatherings in general people doing their own thing the consolidation's happening on in the political realm for sure but as i think it's actually also that's another reason as there's more consolidation at the top you actually get less voluntary associations as needs are met supposedly from the top down you don't need them as much so this is just i'm i'm thinking like 50 years right this is going to be the trend i think the southern baptist convention is going to unless they really give a lot of benefits to the churches that join them it's really a good organization to be part of i think the trend is going to continue that they're going to be bleeding churches that's just my opinion so where's the encouragement in all this the encouragement is that the southern baptist convention is not the church there is an institution that will remain and that's the one that god has ordained and that is the church and so as you go to the convention thinking about these serious things i would encourage you not to overthink it too much it's just the convention i know it's it's important i get it but it's just a convention it's not the church the missions the evangelism all those things um they they're going to still be done god's going to still do those things through christians through churches it may not be the same kind of cooperations. New cooperations may form. That's not a bad thing. And so trying to save the Southern Baptist Convention is not the same as trying to save Christianity. And I think we all need to be reminded about that. Have a good time. Talk to people while you're at the convention. Get to know people from other areas. You're going to see people from all over the world. Talk to people who have been sharing and spreading the gospel as your Christian brothers and sisters, not as just fellow Southern Baptists. Uh, that is a secondary identity, a very secondary identity compared to we're Christians first. One thing I appreciate about what Randy Adams said, I'm still thinking about it in our interview earlier this week, is um, that God's going to use a missions force of some kind, and it, it's he's going to use the church. He's going to do what he's going to do, and it may not be the Southern Baptist Convention. He'd like it to be, but it may not be. And he's open to that. And I think we all need to be open to that. Um, have a good time while you're in Nashville. Go and go to the Grand Ole Opry. Go see things that, you know, maybe you won't get a chance to see again if you have the time. Uh, fight as hard as you possibly can on the floor when there's a political thing that comes up. And then don't let it get to you. Go home and continue to do what God has called you to do. This is all about investing your time and your talents and your abilities for him during this small period of time. And it's not even, you know, a presidential election. We got to live with the results of that um, or not the results of that, as the case may be, the, the, <laughs> the fudge results. You have to live with the what, what happens after a presidential election, right? Because you live within the geographical boundaries. It's not the same with the Southern Baptists. You don't have to associate with them. You have to live with the effects of evangelicalism going down the hill. But it's going to be the Spirit of God ultimately that's going to save evangelicalism. And it cannot be... It, human efforts are their means God uses, but ultimately you could try everything. And if God is not going to allow it to be saved, it's not going to be saved. If the ship's burning and God wants the ship to go down and he's got another ship, you're not going to be able to put that fire out. So don't make that the standard of whether 
it's successful or not. Don't let it stress you. Uh, fight when when you can in the in the uh, on the floor, and then get to know some people. Go home, have a good time in Nashville, and that's my advice. So I hope that's helpful to you all. I hope that's uh, somewhat insightful. I hope it helps you at least narrow down a little bit uh, who you'd vote for for president in the convention. Um, again, you got, in my opinion, two options. You got Mike Stone and you got Randy Adams, and um, either one uh, has some significant strengths. And uh, so I hope that that helps you out. And uh, we'll talk more as the convention unfolds, I'm sure. God bless. Have a good weekend. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.